Welcome to NVC Life. I'm Rochelle Lamb, veteran NVC trainer and relationship coach, helping listeners navigate interpersonal conflict and ground more deeply into relational living. Greetings, fellow humans. It's that time of year. Back to school. And last year, at this same time, I published an episode titled Educating Our Children, and I am going to include that in the show notes. And during that episode, I spoke about author and teacher John Taylor Gatto, who was someone who Marshall Rosenberg made reference to a lot, in particular, his book, Dumbing Us Down, The Hidden Curriculum of Compulsory Schooling. And so for this particular episode, I came across an article which I had read many years ago, but I'm going to resurrect it and read some parts of it. It was published in May 1991, so 32 years ago, in The Sun magazine, titled A Few Lessons They Won't Forget the Disgrace of Modern Schooling. Now, I want to say before I read that, just because it already has a charged title, that this, of course, does not apply to all schools, all teachers, all children. It's simply an invitation for us to be really critical about what goes on in schools and uh, how our children are educated. I haven't had a child in school for a while, but I do have two grandchildren who are going into school. And so I do concern myself. So here we go. The article, John Taylor Gatto, he says, 26 years ago, having nothing better to do with myself, I tried my hand at teaching. My license certifies me as an instructor of English language and English literature. But that isn't what I do at all. I don't teach English. I teach school. And I win awards doing it. While teaching means different things in different places, seven lessons are universally taught from Harlem to Hollywood Hills. They constitute a national curriculum you pay for in more ways than you imagine. So you might as well know what it is. I intend no irony here. These are the things I teach. These are the things you pay me to teach. The first lesson I teach is confusion. I teach the unrelating of everything. I teach disconnections. I teach too much. The orbits of the planets, the law of large numbers, slavery, adjectives, architectural drawing, dance, gymnasium, choral singing, assemblies, surprise guests, fire drills, computer languages, parents' nights, staff development days, standardized tests, age segregation unlike anything seen in the outside world. Even in the best schools, a close examination of the curriculum reveals a lack of coherence. Fortunately, the children have no words to express the panic and anger they feel at the constant violations of natural order and logical sequence fobbed off as quality education. Educators persist in the idea that it's better to leave school with a toolkit of superficial jargon derived from economics, sociology, and natural science rather than one genuine enthusiasm. While quality in education entails in-depth learning, confusion is thrust upon kids by too many strange adults, each working alone with only the thinnest relationship to each other, pretending for the most part to an expertise they do not possess. Meaning, not disconnected facts, is what sane human beings seek. And education is a set of codes for processing raw facts into meaning. 
Behind the patchwork quilt of school curricula and the obsession with facts and theories, the age-old human search for meaning lies concealed. Think of all the great natural learning sequences, walking, talking, following the progression of light from sunrise to sunset, witnessing the ancient procedures of a farm, a smithy, or a shoemaker, watching your mother prepare a Thanksgiving feast. In each of these, the parts stand in perfect harmony, and each action justifies itself and illuminates the past and the future. Learning sequences at school aren't like that, not inside a single class and not among the total menu of daily classes. School sequences are crazy and will not bear close scrutiny, yet we continue to use them, if only because few teachers would dare to impart the tools whereby the dogmas of a school or a teacher could be criticized. School subjects are learned, if they can be learned, like children learn the catechism or memorize the 39 articles of Anglicanism. Everything must be accepted. I teach the unrelating of everything, an infinite fragmentation, the opposite of cohesion. What I do is more related to television programming than to an orderly scheme. In a world where home is only a ghost because both parents work or because too many moves or too many job changes or too much ambition has left everybody too confused to relate as a family. I teach how to accept confusion as your destiny. That's the first lesson I teach. Oh, we could just stop right there and see how that last piece so accurately describes what happens in so many households. Let's go to the second one. The second lesson I teach is class position. I teach that you must stay in the class where you belong. I don't know who decides my kids belong there, but that's not my business. The children are numbered so that if any get away, they can be returned to the right class. Over the years, the variety of ways children are numbered by schools has increased dramatically until it is hard to see the human being beneath the weight of numbers. Numbering children is a big and profitable undertaking. Though the strategy behind it is elusive, I don't know why parents allow it without a fight. I'm going to skip ahead to number three. The third lesson I teach is indifference. I teach children not to care about anything too much, even though they should make it appear that they do. How I do this is very subtle. I demand they become totally involved in my lessons, jumping up and down in their seats with anticipation, competing vigorously with each other for my favor. It's heartwarming. It impresses everyone, even me. When I'm at my best, I plan lessons carefully to produce this show of enthusiasm. But when the bell rings, I insist they drop whatever it is we've been doing and proceed quickly to the next workstation. They must turn on and off like light switches. Nothing important is ever finished in my class, nor in any class I know. Students experience life on the installment plan. The fourth lesson I teach is emotional dependency. By stars and red checks, smiles and frowns, prizes, honors and disgraces, I teach you to surrender your will to the predestined chain of command. Rights may be granted or withheld by any authority without appeal because rights do not exist inside a school, not even the right of free speech, as the Supreme Court has ruled. As a school teacher, I intervene in many personal decisions, issuing a pass for those I deem legitimate or initiating a disciplinary confrontation for behavior that threatens my control. As individuality is constantly trying to assert itself among children and teenagers, my judgments come thick and fast. Individuality is a contradiction of class theory, a curse to all systems of classification. Here are some common ways it shows up. Children sneak away for a private moment in the toilet on the pretext of moving their bowels. They trick me out of a private instant in the hallway on the grounds that they need water. 
I know they don't, but I allow them to deceive me because this conditions them to depend on my favors. School teachers don't recognize rights, but only privileges that can be withdrawn. The fifth lesson I teach is intellectual dependency. Good people wait for a teacher to tell them what to do. We must wait for other people better trained than ourselves to give meaning to our lives. This is the most important lesson. Only I, or rather only those who pay me, can determine what you must study. The expert makes all the important choices. If I'm told that evolution is a fact instead of a theory, I transmit that as ordered, punishing deviants who resist what I have been told to think. This power to control what children think lets me separate successful students from failures. Successful children do the thinking. I assign them with a minimum of resistance and a decent show of enthusiasm. Of the millions of things of value to study, I decide what few we have time for. Or it is decided by my faceless employer. The choices are his or hers. Why should I argue? Curiosity has no important place in my work. Only conformity. Jumping ahead, don't be too quick to vote for radical school reform if you want to continue getting a paycheck. We've built a way of life that depends on people doing what they are told because they don't know how to tell themselves what to do. It's one of the biggest lessons I teach. For God's sake, don't rock that boat. The sixth lesson I teach is provisional self-esteem. If you've ever tried to wrestle a kid into line whose parents have convinced him that love him in spite of anything, you know how impossible it is to make self-confident spirits conform. As our world wouldn't survive a flood of confident people very long, I teach that your self-respect should depend on expert opinion. My kids are constantly evaluated and judged. A monthly report, impressive in its precision, is sent into students' homes to signal to within a single percentage point how dissatisfied with their children parents should be. The ecology of good schooling, like the economy, depends on the perpetuation of dissatisfaction. Although little time or reflection goes into making up these mathematical records, their cumulative weight establishes a profile of defect which compels a child to arrive at certain decisions about himself or herself and his future based on the casual judgment of strangers. Self-evaluation, the staple of every major philosophical system, is never a factor. Through report cards, grades, and tests, children learn not to trust themselves or their parents, but to rely on the evaluation of certified officials. People must be told what they are worth. The seventh lesson I teach is that you can't hide. Children are always watched. I keep each student under constant surveillance, as do my colleagues. There are no private spaces for children. There is no private time. The time between classes lasts five minutes to inhibit promiscuous fraternization. Students are encouraged to tattle on each other or even to tattle on their own parents. I also encourage parents to file reports about their child's waywardness. A family trained to snitch on each other is unlikely to conceal any dangerous secrets. I assign a type of extended schooling called homework so that the surveillance travels into private households. Otherwise, students might find free time to learn something unauthorized from a father or mother by exploration or by apprenticing to some wise person in the neighborhood. Disloyalty to the idea of schooling is a devil always ready to find work for idle hands. From constant surveillance and lack of privacy, the child learns that no one can be trusted, that privacy is not legitimate. Surveillance is central to the ideas set down in the Republic, the City of God, Institutes of the Christian Religion, New Atlantis, and Leviathan. The childless men who wrote these books discovered the same thing. Children must be closely watched if you want to keep a society under tight central control. Children will follow a private drummer if you can't get them into a uniform marching band. And so those are the seven 
things that John Taylor Gatto says he teaches children in schools. Now, is this still the case 30 years later? John Taylor Gatto died in 2018. I don't know exactly when he stopped teaching, probably at the turn of the century. But I think that there's much in what he says that we can relate to. And I want to add something here that in one of the exercises I give at my trainings, which is to invite people to make a distinction between observations and evaluations, one of the phrases is 12% of the students were slow learners. And the question is, is this an evaluation or is this an observation? And I can't tell you how many times people believe that this is actually an observation. Since we've got 12% and since we do have standardized testing, that this, of course, indicates that there is such a thing as a slow learner. So there's quite a bit of conversation that follows because the understanding in nonviolent communication is that there is no such thing as a slow learner. Maybe what we're looking at is someone who's disinterested, someone who doesn't care in the subject that we have deemed to be necessary for their learning at a particular stage of development. So we don't know. And what this does is it puts the person in a box. We puts the child in a box, gives them a label, slow learner. And so the correct way of saying it with an NVC understanding would be something like 12% of the students did not pass the exam. This doesn't say anything about their capacity for learning or their IQ or their ability to be knowledgeable on other subjects. It says nothing about it. And this relates to the sixth lesson that Taylor Gatto speaks about when he says, the sixth lesson I teach is provisional self-esteem. Through report cards, grades, and tests, children learn not to trust themselves or their parents, but to rely on the evaluation of certified officials. People must be told what they are worth. So I'm telling you, this particular idea and what standardized testing does and the labels that we give to children do, in fact, continue to exist and to greatly impact that child's view of him or herself. I'm going to jump ahead to another paragraph later in this article. The current debate about whether we should have a national curriculum is phony. We already have a national curriculum locked up in these seven lessons. Such a curriculum produces physical, moral, and intellectual paralysis. No curriculum of content will be sufficient to reverse its hideous effects. The current national hysteria about failing academic performances misses the point. Schools teach exactly what they are meant to teach, and they do it well. How to be a good Egyptian and know your place in the pyramid. Okay, I'm going to end that there. I realize this is not optimistic at all, but I consider it important to listen to someone who was in the school system for over 25 years and who was refusing to toe the line, and which is exactly what Marshall Rosenberg did too when he got fired from a university for not grading the students. And he had great respect for John Taylor Gatto's work. So I'm going to conclude this episode here, even though there's so much more that can be said on the subject, but you can go and read the article yourself, which I'm linking to the episode. And if you're a parent or if you're a teacher or if you're a school administrator, I wish you a wonderful year ahead. And I hope that your days are rich with learning, meaning, purpose, and wonder. Thank you for tuning into NBC Life. 
For future episodes, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube. For free resources or to book a private session with me, head over to rochellelam.com. Until the next time, stay sane, grateful, and generous. Thank you.